This is the Redemption Church Podcast. For a list of messages, events, and more, please visit experienceredemption.com. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here is today's message. Good morning. Well, if you got a Bible, you can open it up to Isaiah 59 this morning. We are going to, uh, we'll start there. We're going to kind of move all around this morning. Uh, uh, well, we'll go out and then we'll come back into Isaiah. Uh, and uh, this morning, uh, by the way, if you're new, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. Thanks for joining us. This morning is kind of a transition week between uh, our last series, which was called Two Lies and a Truth, the study of Isaiah 59, and our next series, which is our Christmas series, uh, which is based on Isaiah 9. And uh, that series will be called His Name Shall Be Called. We're going to study those uh, really famous Christmas passages uh, that talks about the coming of Christ. And so we'll kick that off next Sunday. Each Sunday uh, throughout December, we'll be going through uh, Isaiah chapter 9 there, the front end of Isaiah chapter 9. And so today what we're doing is we're kind of wrapping up last week. Last week, uh, I gave the theological position uh, for the sermon, and this week I'm kind of giving more of the practical application. And the, the question or the idea was this. How do we move forward? See, the beginning of Isaiah 59 uh, talks about the fallen culture. It talks about the corrupt world. It talks about the fallen church. Uh, and then in the, right in the middle of it, it talks about that truth has stumbled in the public squares. But then the back end of Isaiah 59 is unbelievably hopeful. It points us to a better future. And one of the beauties of the gospel is that we can see the reality of the world that we live in, but also always have hope. Hope that is placed in the beauty of what happened on the cross and the kingdom of the Lord. And so we ended last week asking the question, how do we move forward? What is our source of hope? And I gave us four reasons for hope last week, and they were all found right in Isaiah 59, right at the end. And so I want to remind you of those. And then what I want to do is I want to show you how these are the exact four reasons that Peter gives for hope in Acts chapter 2. In other words, these things are true in the pre-Christ era, at least Christ uh, coming to earth, and in the church era that we live in now. Uh, we see so many similarities, right, before and after the cross. And so in Isaiah 59, 20 through 21, I preached through this last week. And uh, by the way, this, this week is going to be more practical. Uh, we're talking about, uh, in James, he says, faith without works is dead. So last week we talked about the faith. This week we're going to talk about the works. We're going to talk about this is what we do. But it is important that we remember all of the doing always comes out of what we have received from Christ, the gospel, right? As Christians, we don't do so that we might earn. We, uh, we have received grace, and so now we operate out of that grace. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way. After we have received salvation by grace, now we are created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. And so last week I walked us through our four reasons for hope. The first one is this. A redeemer will come to Zion. It was the, the beauty of the gospel. The first reason we have hope is the, the gospel of grace. It is not a gospel of what we do. It is a gospel of what Christ did for us. What happens next? The Holy Spirit comes in. Uh, we are empowered then, filled by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can then live lives empowered by His Spirit. We're not meant to live this Christian life on our own. We can't sanctify ourselves on our own. We can't be fruitful on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. Thirdly then, we are connect, uh, thirdly then is the power of the Word of God. And fourthly is we are connected into the generational movement of the kingdom to which we know means the church. That we are entered into the body of Christ or his church. And so we have four reasons for hope. Our salvation, the spirit of God, the word of God, and the church. 
and it moves the, right through that line. We embrace our salvation. We're filled with the Spirit. We meditate on the Word of God. We're filled by the Word of God, and we enter into the body of Christ. All four of these things essential to live the Christian life. Now, that was laid out in Isaiah 59. Look how it's laid out in Acts chapter 2. It's almost like uh, Peter knew the Word of God, which he did. And so he, in Acts chapter 2, in the very first sermon, Peter lays out a sequence of events. Look what he says. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. In other words, embrace your salvation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It starts with repentance. The blessings and the beauty of the, uh, of the word of God, the promises of God, the benefits of the body of Christ, who are they for? Those who have repented and entered into their salvation. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So there was number one. And you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Old Testament, New Testament, what, is it? what, what happens next? The Holy Spirit, you, you, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. You're then led by the Holy Spirit. That's number two. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What is the promise? The promise was uh, laid out through Abraham, uh, and then it was laid out all through the law and the prophets. The promise was found up in the word of God and then ultimately fulfilled in Christ, who is the word. Salvation, spirit, word of God, right? And then what does he say this? He says, and with many other words, he bore witnesses and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, Peter preaches the first sermon to the new founded church. So right here, the beginning of Acts, in the church era in which we live, we see the same four reasons for hope. Our salvation, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the body of Christ, right? Right there, Old Testament, New Testament. Whether it's the fallen generation or the fallen culture of Isaiah 59, or it is the fallen crooked culture of Acts chapter 2, or the fallen crooked culture of the world that we live in now, the response and the reason for hope is the same. The gospel, the spirit, the word, and the church. One, two, three, four, right? every era. Now, we learned something interesting by Peter here uh, when he says this, uh, and with many other words. Another translation says this, and for a really long time. In other words, Peter was giving every pastor ever permission to preach long sermons. Right there. It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them. The term exhort them, I think we, we don't use the word exhort a lot. Uh, it kind of loses its meaning. But it says he strongly encouraged them or strongly admonished them. In other words, he used what we call clear truth. He used strong language. The idea of a weak church or a weak pulpit has never been part of God's church. From the beginning, the very first sermon, Peter preached a long sermon, and he preached a bold and a strong and a clear sermon. And what was he doing? He was warning them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. In other words, the pulpit, the pastor, the preacher is supposed to be aware of what's going on in the world, the crookedness of the generation, and preach a gospel that makes sense into the crookedness of that particular generation. 
And this has been the path from the beginning. Preach the salvation of grace. Yes. Preach the power of the Spirit. Yes. Preach from the Word of God and preach it clearly and strongly to the crookedness of a particular generation and then come together in the body of Christ to bring forth salvation and transformation for a world that needs Jesus. This has been the plan. It was the plan in Isaiah 59, in the fallenness of that generation. It was the plan in Acts 2, and it is the plan today. So last week, I laid out the beauty of a gospel of grace. I laid out the power of the Spirit. I laid out the need for the Word of God. I laid out for the, uh, the idea that we need to be engaged and involved in the church. And, and by the way, the idea of a follower of Christ not being engaged in the local body of Christ, uh, it, it doesn't exist in the Scriptures. Like, the idea, like, isn't even in there, right? Like, when you are in Christ, you are then in the body of Christ. It's really just a question of, are you an active, helpful part or an inactive, unhelpful part? That's the question. To be in Christ is to be in the church and is to be then in the body. And all throughout the New Testament, we see that then being engaged and active, right, in the body of Christ. And so uh, that's, that's kind of my, my setup this morning. What I want to do now is I want to, we went from Isaiah 59 to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go back now to Isaiah 58, which is actually where we started this entire series off like seven or eight weeks ago. And in Isaiah 58, which is obviously, uh, you know, the precursor to Isaiah 59, uh, what we see in there is they're talking about uh, a, a false Christianity. They're talking about a, a weak Christianity, uh, a Christianity that is strayed from true passionate pursuit of God, and what the, the, that then precedes the fallenness of Isaiah 59. But in the middle of Isaiah 58, he says, those who have genuine faith, those who follow Christ, those who stay true to their convictions of faith, those who do that, they'll be a part of something. And this morning, friends, I want to tell you what you and I get to be a part of, all right? Unless Christ comes back sometime in the next couple of weeks, months, right? Um, if he doesn't, this is what we get to be a part of, Isaiah 58. And to me, I think it's really exciting. To me, I think it's worth every effort of who we are as individuals, that we are then redeemed and saved by grace, and we are then involved in what Isaiah 58 talks about. Here's what Isaiah 58 says. It says, and the Lord will guide you continually. Perhaps right now, you are looking out at culture, you're looking at your kids, you're asking, how do I raise kids in this? Um, uh, how, do I, how, how do I be a Christian in my woke corporation? How do I fill in the blank, right? And you're going, how do I do this? Let me tell you how you do it. You are guided by the Lord continually. It says right there. He, he says, be, be guided by the Lord continually. Where? At the bottom. He says, uh, in the parched places. He says, he will satisfy your desire in scorched places. He says, he will make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You ever travel, this most happens out west, but you travel out west somewhere, and uh, you see all of these brown um, lawns everywhere, right? And then there's one guy, one guy, who spends who knows how much money right? And he's watering his lawn, and his lawn is perfectly green, and everybody else is, 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 is scorched, right? It's all brown. It's all dead. Nothing's growing. That's what it's saying. 
It's saying, you know how you get to be the person in the midst of a fallen culture, in the midst of a weak church, in the midst of the craziness of the world? You, you, you're guided by the Lord continually. You're anchored in grace. You're empowered by the Spirit, right? You're fueled by the Word of God. And if you do that, Jeremiah 9 says, you're like the guy who no matter how dry it gets, the, you, you continue to bear fruit. Friends, that can be you. In the midst of a crazy world, we get to be followers of Christ, right, whose joy can't be taken from us because it's not anchored in the world, who um, chaos and worry can't take over our minds and our hearts because our peace comes from outside of this world. We get to be the people that the world looks at and goes, I don't understand why you're not freaking out. Let me tell you why I'm not freaking out. I am anchored in my salvation by grace. I'm filled by the Holy Spirit. I have the Word of God, and I'm in the church. That's why I'm not freaking out. I know where this ends. I know that I have hope. And I know that I get to be part of the solution. I get to be part of what God is doing right now. So that's what he says. He, he says, he, and then he says, your bones will be strong. You'll be watered like a garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And then this is what you get to be a part of. Look how fun this is. He says, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Friend, you shall be called that if you follow him right now. I get to be called that. We collectively get to be called this if we will follow him, if we'll be anchored in these four things, all four of them, right? And that's why I think Peter hits it. I think that's why Isaiah hit it there because it's all four. We can't have, um, uh, in Galatians, they wanted a salvation but no spirit. They're like, no, that, that's not going to work, right? Um, uh, you can't have a salvation and a spirit but then say, I don't want the word of God. No, the word of God is how, right, uh, it's how we're sanctified uh, and then it's how the spirit guides us, right? He guides us through the word. And then you can't be the person who's like, well, I've got the word uh, and I've got the spirit and I've got the word of God but I don't need the church. No, no, no. One, two, three. It's all of them coming together. That's how we then partner together here. And so he says, Four things, right? First, your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. That's like a general idea. Now, there's a beautiful picture of ancient ruins being rebuilt, and it was the first fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah 59. The first fulfillment of it was all the way back, uh, well, was in Nehemiah, right? Which is kind of how the, uh, the Old Testament wraps up. It wraps up with the story of Nehemiah and their rebuilding of the wall, the ancient ruins. That's exactly what he was talking about. Now, it's teaching us something here, even in the church age and the church era, right? That as Christians, our goal is not to, like, progress into some kind of new Christianity. Our goal is to stay rooted in ancient faith. That's our goal. The, the, the lie, one of the lies of the day, right, is that we're going to like kind of progress into some kind of 21st century Christianity that is the better model. And what we're being told here is that we're supposed to rebuild the ancient ruins. We're, we're going back to the ancient faith, right? Our quest is not to figure out 21st century faith. Our quest is to know 1st century faith and how it applies in the 21st century. That's what we're doing, okay? And so uh, we want to rebuild the ancient ruins. We don't want to create something new. Now, as we're doing that, what are we doing? We're looking forward to the day when Christ does come back and he makes all things new, completely erasing the damages of sin. And that is, we sang about it this morning, that is our great hope. But in the meantime, what are we doing? We're rebuilding what has been lost. Now, how do we do that? 
How does this rebuilding process look like? And I'll say this. It is a, uh, it's a partnership between, between the, the body of Christ, right? All of the body of Christ. And not just one body, okay? Every body of Christ that is faithful to the word of God. So we're all in partnership with each other and other followers of Christ in our area and, and across the, the nation and across the country, right? But then it is also here. It's right here in front of us. And it's you and I partnering together for the sake of the gospel to do three things. What is number one? He says, raise up the foundations of many generations. That's the first thing. Raise up the foundation of many generations. Now, I want to get a little practical this morning, like I said I would. And I want to talk about how do you raise up the foundation of many generations? What does this actually look like to do that? And I want, I want to give you four ways this morning uh, that we are to raise up the generation, uh, raise up the foundation for many generations. Uh, practically speaking, what are they talking about here? They're saying establish and lay something out that has lasting power. We talk about uh, a lot here being a multi-generational church. And it is a multi-generational church, right? Uh, we could go around. Why don't we do this? We'll just do it with the ladies. I'll say a decade, and you raise your hand if you're in that. Want to play? No? Okay. All right. No. Okay, we won't play that. But most of you can tell just by looking around. Now, all right. We're, and what about me? Well, that's a bad thing to say, too. Okay, so... Okay, so... We are a multi-generational church, praise God. But we don't want to just be a church made up of people from different generations. We want to be a multi-generational church in two other senses. One, that there are going to be generations that come after us that have it better than we had it because of what we did for them. In other words, we want to make multi-generational decisions. Don't you do this in your family? Of course you do. Of course you do. You make multi-generational multi decisions all the time. You think we're, we want to invest this into our kids so that our grandkids will grow up like this, right? And, uh, and we have to do that as the body of Christ. We, we make decisions not just based on the here and now, but the future. In other words, we want Redemption Church to be around in 100 years, right? And so we want to make decisions now that, that, that are in alignment with that. So what does that look like? Four things again. Raising up the foundations. Being a multi-generational church. Not just in name, but in practice. Right? And so here they are. The first one is this. Kids ministry. Starts with kids ministry. It, it, to raise up the next generation. And the foundation for many generations. That means we have to put a foundation in to our kids. And uh, in, in, in a short summary of the last 20 to 30 years of the church era, uh, we have gotten away from many of the practices that helped raise up kids for generations. We discarded them. We discarded them for many different reasons. Some, they were kind of um, reactions to previous generations, right? Um, but some of these things, they have to come back. Let me give you one of them, okay? And for some of you, this is a dirty word because you grew up and it was a dirty word for you. But catechism. Catechism is a series of questions and answers where we establish core faith and, and, and foundation into our children. And about 20 to 30 years ago, we got rid of catechism by and large in the church because we were like, well, no parent actually wants to do that with their kids, and, uh, and it's not really that much fun, and, um, and, and if we do that, then the kids aren't going to want to come back, and the kids don't want to come back, then the parents can't come back. And, and we talked ourselves into all of these reasons on why this was important to do, and what did, it, what did it do? It left a generation of followers of Christ right now between the ages of like 15 and 30, if we're honest, that have probably been less 
catechized and trained in the foundational elements of the faith than any generation in two or 300 years, okay? If you wonder why they're all pro-Hamas, there you go, right? Okay. Okay. We got to get back to catechizing our kids, right? And what does that mean? It means at every age and stage, you're adding to the layer of core doctrine. For, for us, by the way, we have a preschool catechism here. Uh, we wrote that one in-house. We have an elementary catechism. We wrote that one in-house. Um, and then we have a middle school uh, catechism that we took from somewhere else, right? And listen, we can call it different things, okay? You can call it bedtime story. I don't care what you call it, right? Um, but, but parents, first and foremost, this is on us, right, to be practicing this on a consistent basis, right, to raise up. But then it's also on us as a church to, to care about these things, to elevate these things, and to bring them up um, consistently so that it just becomes a part of the rhythm again, right? Training this and instilling. And, and kids, when they do this, it's adorable, all right? Um, we've got a video. We posted it on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram a couple of weeks ago. You can go back and watch it. And it's our kids doing their, their preschool catechism. My son, Augie, he's, uh, he's three now. And he, his language is developing now. Um, but uh, for the, when he was like two, I would do his catechism with him. And he, you would have no idea what he was saying. But he knows his catechism. Right? And so I'll say, there is one, and he'll say, God, right? And, uh, and it really is like his first string of language was his catechism. And it was as cute as could possibly be. His favorite one, this is not in our biblical catechism, but it's in my private catechism. When we get to cash is, and he goes, king, right? Okay? <laughs> That's our Dave Ramsey catechism, okay? That's secondary, but, right? Okay. He knows it. And he's going to know we're going to keep going through, right? And then he's going to go into elementary catechism. Then we're going to go into middle school catechism. And then it goes into youth group, right? Which our youth group every, every uh, Wednesday night, 9 through 12th graders get together, open up the Word of God together. And so if you're a 9th through 12th grader, then you get into that, right? Why? Because this is essential to raise up the foundation for many generations, right? And around here we say this. Every kid should do these three things when it comes to church. They should uh, enjoy it. They should love Jesus, and they should make friends. Some of you would be like, yeah, I was well catechized, but I didn't like it, right? And so we're praying. You can pray with us. We want to get to a place where we do what? Where, where our kids love coming to church. We still want it to be fun, sure. I mean, how, you all know this. Amen. It's way easier to come to church when your kids want to come too, right? And so we want to keep that true. But we got to get back to some of these ancient practices, ancient as in the last couple hundred years, right? And so... Catechize our kids. And by the way, if you're in high school, early college, and you're like, you know what? I missed all of that. What do I do now? It might seem embarrassing, but go back to the beginning. Just go back to the beginning. Start there. Why? Because statistically speaking, you're going to have kids. Okay? And when you have those kids, you're going to want to know. You want to be showing up by your four-year-old. All right? And if your four-year-old goes here, they're going to know it. So you should know it. All right? That's the first thing. Number two uh, is... Group, group life. How do you raise up the foundation of many generations? From the very beginning in the scriptures. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. You can't read the book of Acts and not see this. Christians had a habit. They got together. They studied the word of God. They were in relationship. And they prayed together. They got together. They studied the word of God. They were in relationship. And they prayed together. This has been happening since the beginning. It was how, in, mu in, in much part, it was how the faith was, um, was taken from generation to generation. And so, friends, that's what group life is all about. It's about getting together with other followers of Christ, studying the Word of God, being in relationship, 
and then praying together. It doesn't have to be overcomplicated. It ought not to be boring. You should look forward to it. It can happen a dozen different ways, but getting together with other people to do exactly that. And friends, we can help facilitate that. You can do it on your own, or we can help you facilitate. I don't really care. Uh, either way works as long as it's happening, okay? Those things, getting that. And by the way, let me just say this again. Um, when we're studying the Word of God, remember, the point is not to figure out what it means for me. The point is to figure out what it means, okay? Um, Bible study at some point in time, maybe this has been going on for years, right? Probably since the beginning. Humanity hasn't changed, right? Um, but the point of it is not to get there and go, you know what? I really think, here's what I think it means. Um, and, and, and there's nothing bad with saying that if, if, you, if you, like, corral it. But the point of it is not to, to create biblical interpretation. The, the, the point is to understand what the Bible was trying to say in that moment. Okay, so that's how we hold each other accountable, even when we are studying the Word of God. And uh, if you need a good commentary, a good study Bible with you in your Bible study, that's not cheating, okay? Um, that's like helping corral to, to, to keep it in a good place. So group life, getting in it, forming it, um, and, and then making that a part of your practice, okay? I give you as much as I can up here. I'd preach twice as long, but half of you would leave, okay? I give you as much as I can every single Sunday, um, but still, uh, it, it, it takes more. It takes more to, to get into the Word of God on your own and in group life, okay? Uh, number three, the third thing is this. Philippians 1.5 teaches us this, um, that we are partners in the gospel. I love Paul's language here. I first started using this when I was a youth pastor, and we would have this, like, graduation at the end, and I would look at these seniors, and I'd say, here's the point. The point is I've given you everything I could give you over the last three years. You are now to be partners in the gospel. Philippians 1.5 says this, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What's he saying? He's saying that the point of um, our faith is not that we just become like an attender. It's not that we become like a cog in some machine that advances some kind of brand. The point of the faith then, what happens as we grow up, is we become partners in the gospel. Friends, you and I are equally partners in the gospel. Different roles. I get to stand up here and talk for 40, 50, whatever minutes it is every single week. You get to listen, right? But we are all partners in the gospel. We have been given different roles uh, and different gifts and all of that, but we are equally partners. And to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish, it takes each and every one of us operating to the partnership level that God has called us to. What does the, the chief of the partnership look like? Well, I don't know. Paul was a really good partner, and I think he graduated from partnership school, and what did it mean for him? Assassinated, right? Martyred. So how do you know when you got there? That's probably the clue, right? You're like, what's the level right below that? <laughs> okay. You can have Peter. He was killed upside down, all right? That's how they all the early partners ended. They were all killed for it. We, we were joking at our uh, year-end meeting as a church staff uh, that we're going to call it Partnership Infinity, okay? Well, this year, we released Level 1, Partnership Track 1. Next year, we're going to release Partnership Track 2. Um, but I don't, I don't really see it ending, right? Why? Because there's always more. There's always more to partner within the gospel. And, and what is the point here? The point is this, that, that, you're, that you're not just called into a salvation. You're not just called into an attendance. You're called into a partnership, every one of us. And if we want to raise up the foundation of many generations, it will take great partners like you. It'll take great partners. And uh, here's a dream I have. A dream I have is that we would become a great exporters of partners in our church. 
a great exporter of partners, whether that is um, revitalizing churches, planting new churches, um, wh whatever it might be, but that one of the things that we would get good at as a church is exporting partners of the gospel, just like Paul was fond of doing, all right? He's like, all right, I'm going to leave you guys behind. I'm going to go do something else, right? And uh, that we would get really good at people in here. Maybe it's just you moving uh, because God called you to a new town or your, your job changed or whatever, and when you get in there and when you show up at that church, right, whatever the new one is, the pastor looks and he goes, oh, man, I'm glad I got one of you all right? Partners, that we export partners of the gospel, right? Which means we have to go through the process of developing that and, and being trained in that. This is how we raise up the foundation of many generations. This is exactly what uh, Isaiah was trying to get across here, right? How do we rebuild the ancient ruins? How do we raise up the foundation? Incredible kids ministry, great group life where I'm studying the word of God in relationship with other people. I'm becoming a partner in the gospel, right? And the best partners do what? We know this. The best partners are good. They shed away all of the other distraction, and they focused in on the goal, right? And, and that's what Paul talks about in our faith, right? We shed away all the distractions of this world, and we focused in on the goal, which is what? To aim and to please our Heavenly Father, right? Paul says, I press on in the race. I forget what's behind me. I'm moving forward so that I might receive the prize, an incredible partner in the gospel. And every one of us is called into partnership, each and every one of us. Here's the fourth thing. The fourth way we raise up the foundation of many generations is this. Through our incredible generosity. Proverbs 13, 22. Proverbs 13, 22. Let's go to Proverbs. I love Proverbs. You guys ever read that Proverbs, uh, cheaters never prosper? Wasn't true this weekend. Amen. All right, come back. Proverbs 13, 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. How do we, how do we lay a foundation for many generations? We have a multi-generational financial perspective, right? Now, I know there's a lot of different theories and philosophies and whatever, whatever on this. But, but the principle here is a godly principle, right? And it's a principle of paving a path forward for future generations. And so we should make financial decisions as a church uh, with the future generations in mind, right? Uh, that's in part why we're simple but meaningful. It's why we're excessive, uh, aggressively, uh, not excessively, aggressively uh, paying our debt down as quickly as we possibly can, right? Um, it, it's why as a church we always practice the principles of be generous, be efficient, and be transparent, right? Why? Because we want to set up the future uh, to be better than the present. And so we make these decisions. And, and so part of raising up the foundation of many generations generations is, is you and I practicing biblical stewardship. Uh, and, and that's having a consistent giving pattern to our local body of Christ. I think that should be a tithe, but we won't get into that debate this morning. Uh, but it's faithfully setting aside, Paul says weekly, uh, whatever that, that might be, faithfully setting aside, right, to, to, to fund the kingdom of God. Uh, I think it's also then setting our lives up in such a way that at any moment we can be generous. A practice that Lindsay and I got into um, really since we got married was we make every financial decision through this lens. Here's the lens. Lens number one, will we be able to be faithful with our tithe? Lens number two, will we still have enough to respond to need? As we have been called. The scripture is always in this way. It always says, as you have been blessed by God. In other words, that the, the response of faithfulness is dependent upon how God has blessed you financially. And just in case you think you blessed yourself financially, you're wrong. 
okay? He blessed you financially. We always have to remember that, right? And it says that we are then to respond in kind, right? And sadly, some of us have been, have been blessed immensely, and we respond in kind like an impoverished single mom, okay? That's sad. It is. It is, right? Because we're supposed to respond in kind, right? And so, um, uh, and so every filter number two is always this. Before any financial decision, will we be able to respond to the need? Where's the need going to come from? I don't know. But when it does come, we want to be faithful that in the moment then we can respond, right? That we haven't gotten so excited about the trappings of the world, right? All of these things that are going to decay and go away, that in the moment it needed, based upon how God has blessed us, now we're able to respond. That's a partner mindset. It's a partner mindset. It looks and it goes, man, he gave me everything. It wasn't me. He's the one who gave it to me, right? And so now I always want to be able to respond. When my father says give, I can give, right? I'm going to be faithful, consistent every week, every month, whatever it is. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give as he has blessed me, okay? But I'm also going to have the, the legacy perspective, right? Very practically, let me say this, by the way, to some of you, um, as you're, you're approaching that kind of legacy stage, uh, let me say this. Um, don't let one of two things happen, please. One, don't let the government get all of it at the end um, because you haven't taken practical steps, okay? That would not be great stewardship. Number two, um, I would encourage you and challenge you as you pray through what happens with it when we're done. When I'm done. If you don't have kids or, or your kids are already taken care of or whatever it might be, where's it going to go? And, and to know that that is a gospel decision you are making in that moment. You are making a, mo a decision in that moment to go, well, what, where is all of this going to end up? And be faithful, uh, slightly morbid, I get it, be faithful in your death like you were faithful in your life, okay? And so, so think through that, especially as you're nearing uh, those, those, those stages, okay? Um, this generosity, it raises up the foundation of many generations, right? And, and, and it allows the work to continue. And so here we go. Those are four ways to raise up the foundation of many generations. Uh, let's talk about the second thing that we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people that are repairers of the breach, okay? Repairers of the breach. In other words, we're supposed to be able to identify where's the hole, uh, how's the poison getting in, uh, how are things decaying, and then we're going to go fix it, right? Uh, and this is, I, I think, in, in an exceptionally practical way, right? Like later on, I'm going to talk about Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I don't think, sat around with all of the guys, and they saw the breach in the wall, and they go, well, what do you think about that? Philosophically, what do you think the breach represents? No, what they do? They fixed it. This is practical. When we're, when we're to repair the breach, we're supposed to look and go, where is the hole? What's happening? How, how are things decaying? And I would say, uh, primarily, let me identify two this morning that, that are breaches that need to be repaired. Uh, breach number one is this, woke education, okay? An absolute breach. I've spent a, a extensive time teaching on this, so I won't get into all of it this morning, right? Um, I won't remind us of Lincoln's quote, right? Show me the education of one era, and I'll show you the government philosophy of the next, okay? We've seen that to be true, right? Um, I will remind you that the church for 200 years felt that it was its responsibility to educate our children in both elementary, high school, 
and post-secondary in college. For 200 years, the church held that value, gave it up in the 50s, right? The results are in. Hasn't worked. Woke education is one of the breaches in the wall, and we have to be fixed. And I'll tell you what, I've got a dream and a goal that uh, we, working alongside other pastors and churches, will in Northwest Ohio repair the breach and fix the broken education in our area, okay? And it's a massive goal. I get it. But it's worth going after. How do we do it? Um, listen, we'll do it through every means possible, right? You want to homeschool your kids? Amen. Do it, all right? You want to send your kids to one of the great Christian schools? I've talked to every Christian school superintendent or uh, director of the board in the last two weeks and have simply told them, we are here to help. Let us know what you need, right? Finding an education that is going to align with who you are right? And if, if they're going to stay in the public school, right, then what are you going to do? You're going to make sure that they're equipped. You're going to make sure that they're in the body of Christ. You're going to make sure that church is a, their biggest uh, extracurricular activity, right? And then others then who are going to teach in the school systems, who are going to um, uh, educate and, and administrate in the, in the public school system, you get to be the one. You're in there, and you're in there as a repair. And praise God that you are. Keep it up and keep going. I was excited. There's somebody in our church. We preached a sermon on, I, I, I preached it, on education earlier this year. It inspired them to run for school board. They won, and they were the top vote-getter in their district, okay? That's how you go and you begin to make a difference. You repair the breach. You repair the breach, right? This is practical. You got to look at it and go, oh, what do we got to fix? All right, you got to do this at this level. We as a church a year ago announced that we were going to try to repair the breach in higher ed, right? And... Um, I know lots of people in here went to UT, you went to BG, you went to all of these things, all of that kind of stuff. I get one, it's probably slightly different now than it was then. But secondly, um, two things are always going to be going on at once. We're always going to still engage in the world as it is and also still work at creating other things. Okay, and, and so these two things are always going to be together. And so a year ago, that's why we launched uh, Revere Bible College. I don't give a lot of updates on you, but let me tell you, this is, it's working. It's going really well. The nine students that are part of it, it's amazing to watch them, the community that they form, what God is teaching them. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that when we, like, send them out of, uh, of their time at Revere, the work that they're going to do for the kingdom of God, it, it's beautiful. Um, and we are praying and working hard, and I would invite everyone into this. Um, I... I hope that someday Revere is the largest college in Northwest Ohio, that we have, we have taken people out of a system that hates their faith, brought them into a new system, and is now spitting kids out, okay, weird terminology, but is now releasing kids out um, with, uh, grounded in their faith, and, and they have a correct perspective of the world. Will it not change our area if in 10 years, instead of 5,000 students going through a system um, that hates the culture and the world, uh, Western culture, and hates God, uh, instead 5,000 students are being sent out and trained through the system that God has given us? Of course it would. That's a worthy endeavor. That's a worthy endeavor. You got to fix the breach. Here's the other breach we got to fix together, guys. I know. Like, Stephen, can we give us like a small thing? Yeah. Well, baby steps, right? The other breach we got to fix is this, a weak church. A weak church. Now, I'm not just talking about the church that might, like, slightly not be as aggressive or blunt as us, okay? I'm, like, I'm not trying to condemn um, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When I say the weak church, I'm talking about people that, one, do nothing to stand up for the world that we, uh, against the world that we live in, or two, um, they have abandoned Orthodox Christianity. They have abandoned true doctrine and faith. And a weak church, in the end, is the reason why our nation is where it is at. 
And so what do we need to do? We need to strengthen our church. We need to strengthen the church as a whole. And this is something else. And this is, you think, well, isn't that like your job? No, this is all of our jobs. It is all of our jobs in each and every one of these, right? And, and what our region needs is a strong, vibrant church. It's a strong, vibrant church. Not just us. Every church in the area. And so, um, listen, we're taking a step in this as well. Uh, this is the motivation behind the Clear Truth Conference that we're doing in March. Okay, it's March 14th through 16th. Um, first and foremost, I want you to know everyone here is invited to attend. We would love for you to be there. Okay? Uh, we want to pack this place out. You are welcome to come. I know there's a cost associated with it. Um, it's expensive, apparently, to fly seven speakers in from all across the country. Right? And then to pay hotels and food and give them something to say thank you. Uh, and so, um, we're bringing them all in, right? Um, but there's a great list. And the point of it is to do what? Embolden, encourage, and equip the church. And so first and foremost, that does start with us, right? And so please come, come and join us, right? And I will say this too. If money is the one thing stopping you, right? I, I would suggest this. It is a value proposition, right? It, most of us can, can afford it. But if money is the thing that would stop you, let me know. Okay, we, we will take care of it, right? And so first and foremost, we want you to come. Secondly, you know pastors, you know people from other churches, you know people who need to get wakened up or kicked in the butt a little bit to get on going because we live in a world that needs the clear truth of the Word of God, and we need strong churches to partner with, right? And so um, invite them. We'd love for you to, uh, we want to have 50 churches represented. That's one of my prayers. Um, and then thirdly, uh, I'll say this one really quickly, and I'm not going to reach out to anybody, so you reach out to me because it feels weird when I reach out to you for this. Um, if you want to help sponsor the conference, um, just let me know. Um, it would be an opportunity for you, your business, all of that kind of stuff, right? You'll get a table out in the lobby, and you'll be on the thing and everything like that, right? Um, and if you want to do that, let me know. But let me tell you where all of that money is going to go. It's going to go to paying for high school students to come. Okay, um, and I've again reached out to every high school in the area. I'm inviting their juniors and seniors because I also want to fill this place in. Why? Because if we're going to raise up the foundation of many generations, then we got to turn out different high school students, right? We got to train them and equip them. And so any sponsorship money will go to be paying for high school students to attend the conference. Okay. Um, and so, again, if you want to do that, just reach out to me, and I'll, I'll walk you through the process and the steps of that. Why? Because we have to repair the breach. And what what do we need? We need a strong education that is Christ-centered, and we need a strong church that is willing to engage the public square. That's how we repair the breach. Now, if we do these things, what happens? Look at the promise. He says, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. What happens if we do it? You restore the land. People get to walk around on the streets safe again, right? Uh, you're not worried about truth stumbling in the public square. You're not worried about justice being turned back. You're not worried about being um, um, considered an enemy because you depart from the woke narrative. You restore the streets. It is a promise of Scripture. It's exactly what happened in the book of Nehemiah. Remember, they actually had to leave their nation and go to Babylon where they then lived in the craziness of Babylon, the depravity of Babylon. Our system uh, is a little bit different, right? Babylon is like taken over here, right? But the idea is the same. We want to restore the streets. We want to be able to, uh, what? Have our kids be able to turn on the television and not be scared, right? We want to see the streets again following the truth and the justice of God's word. And how do we do it? We've laid it out. What happens then? You restore the streets. And that's the goal. That's what we're running after. You restore the streets to dwell on. Now, um, three ways to do that real quick. In the book of Nehemiah, when they actually went back to rebuild the wall, uh, we learned three things about, about rebuilding. And, and maybe I'll preach a whole sermon on this or a whole series. But the first thing is this. When Nehemiah and the Israelites went back to rebuild the wall or to restore the streets, the first thing that they acknowledged was this, that we all have to do this together. 
This can't be an individual effort. And friends, this can't be an individual effort. It can't be an individual effort with just a few excited people, right, who, who are on staff or whatever. It can't be an individual effort also with just our church. That's in part why we're doing the conference. We want to bring in all of the other like-minded churches so that we know who we're rebuilding with. This is going to be a team effort. And friends, you are a part of the team. If this is your body, if you're here, you're a part of the team, you're a partner, we're going to have to do this together. The second thing is this. Even though it's a team effort, Nehemiah was a smart man. When he told them to rebuild the wall, you know what he told them to do first? He said, rebuild the wall that's right in front of your house. Smart guy. Why? Well, even though we're in Jesus, we all still got a little selfishness inside of us, right? (laughs) What did he say? Okay, come on. If you knew an enemy was going to come in, which part of the wall would you want to make sure was fixed? The one right in front of your house. I wouldn't even say that's selfish. That's godly. You're supposed to protect your family, right? You're supposed to protect your family. And so you stand up for your family first. You do what's right in front of you first. Now, one of the ways that you uh, take care of the wall right in front of you is you take care of what's in front of you first. And uh, the mentality that does this is what I'll say, uh, just say yes mentality. It's a mentality that says, I, I want to be a partner in the gospel. God, what are you going to lay in front of me? And when you lay something in front of me, I'm going to say yes. So God, if I need to serve in this way, I'm going to say yes. If I need to start that giving pattern, I'm going to say yes. If I need to be saving up for the future gift, I'm going to say yes. God, if you're calling me to shake off the apathy and the distraction, I'm going to say yes. And over and over and over, we have seen in this church people who had no grand plan just say yes with the little thing, and then it opens up to another things and bigger things and bigger things. Man, I'll tell you my own story. I am 19 years old. I am running around the Olentangy uh, at my time at Ohio. Ohio State. I'm running around it. I'm wrestling with God. I still got on my board. I want to be a billionaire and I want to run for office. I slip and fall. I'm laying on the ground. God goes, why are you here right now? I was like, you know why I'm here. And he said, you're not supposed to be here. Go home. Go into ministry. I finally said yes. Here I am 18 years later. Listen, I have no idea. No idea what saying yes in that moment was going to lead to. Right? The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. But you start by saying yes. So my friend, would you say yes? I don't even know what it is. You're like, that's scary. It is. Just say yes. See where God takes you. And sometimes our pride goes, well, that's not big enough for me yet. No, no, no. Say yes here. Say yes here. And then see where it goes. See where it goes. Just say yes to where you're at now, to what God places in front of you. We'll take it somewhere, I promise. Third thing that we learned from Nehemiah was this. I can't remember the verse. Um, it's in there, I promise. He says, uh, there's this guy, Nehemiah's up on the wall, he's rebuilding, some guy comes up, he's like, hey, Nehemiah, I need to talk to you. And Nehemiah, in essence, says, ain't nobody got time for that, okay? He looks, he says, I'm busy. I'm doing God's work. I'm not gonna let you distract me. And my friend, there is a focus when you are in Christ. There is a focus when you are a partner in the gospel. There is a focus when you know that you're about a work that is God's work. And what it allows you to do is, uh, instead of just always saying yes, right, you also say no. But you say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things, right? And you get better at saying no, that's a distraction. Now, how do you tell the difference? The power of the Holy Spirit, right? But no says, no, I'm not going to be distracted by this thing anymore. I'm not going to elevate these things in the world over the things of the gospel, right? I'm not going to pour my entire life into something that the world says is simply going to return to dust. 
How silly. What a distraction. Nope, not going to do that. I'm going to uh, pour my life into the things that are going to go through the refiner's fire and make it out on the other end. It's saying no to the distractions, right? As a church, we have to say no to the distractions. Sure, there's a lot more things that we could do, and people have ideas, and some of them are good ideas, some of them are bad ideas, whatever. But it's saying, nope, that's not what God has called us to be, right? Nope, I don't have time for that. Not because, sometimes not because it's good, right? Sometimes they are good, you just don't have time for it. Other times, it really is just a distraction from the enemy, and you got to say no. Let me tell you one. It's the biggest distraction, and it is the biggest thing that has slowed down the church in 2,000 years. It is why we are a self-proclaimed post-denominational church, right? We refuse, we refuse to divide over secondary doctrines. We intentionally choose to unify around core doctrines. We will discuss but not divide over secondary options. And anyone who wants to discuss or anyone who wants to divide over secondary uh, uh, doctrines or they want to create division in the body of Christ, we don't have time for that. The church has messed around with that for 2,000 years. What has it led to? 9,700 different denominations. I made that number up. I don't know if that's true, okay? Ain't nobody got time for that. Why? We got a job to do. We got a mission to be on. We got a wall to rebuild. We got streets to restore, right? What happens, by the way, if we do the things that I've talked about this morning? Let me lay out a couple of them. We create a vibrant church that will last for generations. We train up a new generation of students with a grasp on core doctrine. We have a well-funded movement never limited by money. We retrain current pastors and develop new pastors and churches to engage in the public square. We establish a Christian, conservative, and classical affordable college option right here in Northwest Ohio. And truth is reestablished in the public square and the streets are restored. That's why. That's worth our effort. That's worth our unity. That's worth saying yes to. Where does it start? A gospel of grace. It starts with the gospel of grace. I didn't say anything to you today to make you feel guilty or to make you feel shame. The gospel doesn't do that. I have reminded you, if you've been saved by a gospel of grace, this is what it will look like. It's a gospel of grace. It's a filling of the Holy Spirit. It's a commitment to the word of God. And then it's a partnering in the body of Christ through the church that will never end. And it'll keep going and it'll keep building until Jesus comes on back. And that's what we get to be a part of. That's pretty fun for me. Let's pray. God, thank you that you would involve us in this. Wow. Us. Wow. Thank you, Father. And so, Father, I bring us back to the moment of grace. You change us. And in Ephesians 2, it said you equipped us for good works. And, Father, where we have not been a part of those good works because we have been too busy building our own kingdom, we repent, change us now. We don't want to waste another day. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit because it's the only way we can do this with joy and peace. Father, may we know your word so we can spot the lies of the enemy and continue to be sanctified in your truth. And Father, may this church be your church, a reflection of your values, your heart, and your mission. And where it ever becomes ours, we repent, change us. Father, unify us as a body. Set us in your direction. Let us know what to say next to do next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's message. For more information, you can visit Experience Redemption on Instagram or Facebook for updates, service times, and ways you can get connected. Want to partner and support the work of Redemption Church? You can give online at experienceredemption.com slash give online to explore your giving options. We also stream services on both YouTube and Facebook Live, so be sure to join us and share your experience. 
Thanks for checking out the podcast. We will see you soon.